Philippians 1, we are starting. We got out of Ephesians. Hey, hey, no clapping on that. Ephesians was awesome. I was trying to trick you there. You're going, yay, no, 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 yay, no, yay. It's like going, I don't like that part of the Bible. That was stung. No. But no, uh, Ephesians uh, was, it was, uh, it changed my life. Changed my life. We'll see if that's good news for you. (laughs) Philippians 1, 9 through 11. And this is my prayer. This is Apostle Paul writing. That your love. Do we have that up on this? Oh, it's not working. You've got to use your Bible or your electronic device. There you go. That's a new one. So... uh, We're trying to get our PowerPoint going. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best. Anybody here want to discern what is best? (laughs) God begins to give us a formula. And I'm going to try to share that with you today, but here we go. So you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. Filled, filled, filled. I don't know what your desire is today. Do you want to just get by or do you want to be filled with the fruit of righteousness? That comes, not from Renovation Church, not from the... That comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Man, I don't know what your desire, you walked in here today. I don't know what you're hungering for. I don't know what you're trying to make a, check a box off or whatever. But man alive, I hope that is your desire today. Or by the time you leave here today or, or as you go through this week and it, and it kind of creeps up on you as the Holy Spirit has that way of doing it, following you around and the hound of heaven I've heard where I know, remember for me, 32 years ago in that fall of 2000, I mean, the fall of 1986, as I began to go to church and the Lord began to speak to me and I didn't even know what it was, scared me half to death, didn't know what it was. Everywhere I went, whether it was work, whether it was playing basketball, whatever it was, there was this stirring, there was this wooing, there was this calling I don't know where you are today. But I knew as a father for the first time that I needed to make some decisions about my life because I was now more responsible. I was put in a position of responsibility not only for Jan, but now I was now about to take on another level of responsibility and I needed to know how to live this thing out. I was in over my head. I didn't know that the church, I didn't know that Christ might be the answer. I just at least wanted to find out. As I said, 32 years later, I still hadn't gotten over what happened. I still desire that. I still desire to be the husband Jan deserves and Christ has appointed me to be. I still desire to be the father to my children that God has appointed me and I desire to be and I'm responsible for. I want to be the pastor that you need and you deserve That God has appointed for this season. Sometimes things end. I don't know what that means, but I know for me as a, as a husband and as a father, that doesn't end until I see Jesus face to face. I hope that's a long time from now. My desire is this, to choose the best way. 
Not just a good way. Not just, eh, that's good versus bad. Well, that's good. No, the best way. That I would be filled with righteousness. Not from my own holy, my, my own narcissism and my own legalism and my own whatever, but filled with the true spirit of the living God that causes me through Christ, the word says, to praise God, give glory to him in all things. That is what Paul is talking about. So as we leave Ephesians, Paul doesn't give us a break, does he? The goal's still the same. The destination's still the same. Christ-likeness. Nothing's changed. I love what Paul prays here. I'm going to see if I can pray it the way that I, if we were praying today. You know, Paul would mess up a good prayer meeting. Because Paul probably wouldn't be praying about, you know, traveling mercies, even though it, he, he, he feels it's important. I'm not saying anything is minimal. Everything is important to God. You can't find something that's too small. You can find stuff I think God probably sometimes go, really, you're asking me about that? I don't know that for sure. But sometimes, but I, I love what Paul, I think Paul would have said, it'd been something like this, said, would the church please pray that everyone would discern how they could show Christ's love more? Also, please pray that everyone in the church would forfeit doing good things in order to do the most excellent things. And oh, by the way, one other thing. Pray that everyone will be filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Christ for the glory of God. Amen. We can go home now. Not you. I mean, that prayer meeting I was talking about. You can't go home yet. When was the last time you prayed, Lord, have me be more mature in you? Bring the circumstances, bring the gifts and graces, bring whatever that is, bring it into my life. I'll be more like you. When was the last time you prayed that? Lord, I want my love to abound, so bring me annoying people so I can love them. What Paul is talking about here, I believe, and I don't think it's a big leap. First off, he's talking about our relationship with Christ. That your love for him would grow more and more. It would be ever increasing. Literally, he, he uses the term abound. Now, I don't know what you think of when I think of when you think of abound, but it is this lavishing, it is this gushing, this is I almost can't control it, I can't contain it. Love for God. Through knowledge and depth of insight, the more I seek you, the more I find you. The more I find you, tall gone, there you are, the more I know you. Wow, it's amazing how that works. That you would not only grow in love and you would grow in knowledge, but now I don't just want good things for my relationship with God, but let's take this, and I don't think it's a big leap at all. I don't only want good things for people that I'm intimate with. I want the most excellent things. I don't want third class, fourth class, whatever that is, for the people I love so much. I want the best. See how that, that, that type of intimacy is not only with our relationship with God, it, he is speaking directly to our relationships with others. Because there's really no reason, right? I know I'm asking you right like you're going to agree, and I'm about to ask you a question. You're going to go right and go, 
don't want to trick you. That's not what I'm trying to do. But just this thought. Is there really any reason for God to leave us here and not take us to heaven if it's not also about others? Because I'll tell you, it'd be a whole lot easier sitting at Jesus' feet in heaven and loving him more, right? So if he wants me to love him more and abound in love for him, then the easiest way to do that is jettison me on out of here. Or, or, I'm just, I've got something to do. I'm supposed to take this love that is growing ever more and more for him and it to be growing ever more and more for others. Or take me on out of here. Now, there's some barriers to that. Obviously, there's big barriers to doing what I'm talking about here this morning. I deal with them. You deal with them. We all deal with them. One of the greatest barriers to intimate relationships, I believe, is insecurity. It's enormous, enormous barrier. If you're insecure in who you are and where you're headed, you probably won't ever have deep, intimate relationships. But get this, if you're insecure in your relationship with Christ, guess what? You remember we talk about in the five circles, and I don't have them up here today. When I talk about, the, in, 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 and I'm throwing something at you you've never seen before, so it's unfair. But one of the questions I ask, or we ask in your journey of following Christ is, is it true, and some of you here today are wrestling with that specifically, my guess is. You may be here today hedging your best just in case it's true. Uh, just in case it's all true, I, I want to be in. But you're really not in. You're really not. But you may be here today with a genuine desire, is this true? The second question, is it true for me? We believe biblically it is true for everyone. Every human being that's ever been born on the face of this earth has the, cho- the opportunity and the choice to follow after Christ. Well, there it is. Good job. Somebody, I didn't even have that in my slides. But the other one is, is it true for me all the time? The insecurity. What I want to say to you today is yes, yes, and yes. Some of you need to hear that today. Yes, yes, and yes. But when you have insecurity in human relationships, there's protect, there's attack. Protect, attack, protect, attack. Another barrier is comparing our best to people's worst. We're really good at that. I'd rather take the best things about me and be able to compare them to your worst in a relationship. Problem is, when we try to do that with Jesus, we get in trouble, don't we? But one of the huge barriers for us is it's just easier for me to think about my good parts and compare to your parts that are not so good. Third thing, and I think this may be one of the biggest ones, like all of them are big, in my opinion, 
It's the lack of consistency of character. It is your lack of consistency of character. And on top of that, the lack of direction of vision and mission in your life. I really don't want to follow people, and I almost, I really don't really trust a lot of people who are just meandering through life. I'll love them. I will love them, I hope, with the love of Christ. But I won't be intimate with them. Because see, intimacy in our culture, and some of you are sitting here today, the only time you've ever used the term intimacy or heard it is from a physical aspect. We in this culture, the culture has stolen the word. Okay, because what happens is in our culture, we have this framework as intimacy, it begins and ends with a physical relationship. Matter of fact, it masks it just so you know. It covers it so you don't have to deal with the deeper things. Knowledge and depth of insight, that's intimacy. Desiring the best for that other person, that's intimacy. Wanting to be the best and, and with fruit of righteousness, which is the, gift, the, the fruit of the Spirit, and all those aspects working, that all of a sudden now becomes intimacy. Sharing a house, sharing whatever, sharing money, that's not enough. Sharing a bed, not enough. And fake it. And get a counterfeit. And let me tell you, it's going to cost you. There's a huge cost to this. And here's where I think intimacy ultimately goes. Because what Paul is talking about here is just the opposite of what our culture talks about in intimacy. Just exact opposite. I believe it starts here, and I heard this years ago, and I'd give them credit if I knew who it was. Intimacy starts with trust and respect. And that comes from consistency of life. Trust and respect. Secondly, Trust and respect leads to vulnerability. You will never have vulnerability if you don't trust people. You just won't do it. You just won't do it. See, that's the great thing about what we answered in yes, yes, yes a while ago. Is that we can at least be vulnerable to Christ. But this is more than just our relationship with him, even though that's the, tip, that's the launching point. And the last one is leads to intimacy. So respect and trust... And it's more than just trusting you with my money, trusting me with my wife, trusting you. Can I trust your values? Can I trust where you're headed? Can I trust you have my best interest at heart all the time? Can I trust that? And that leads to vulnerability. And we hate that word because it makes us vulnerable. <laughs> but you'll never have intimacy without vulnerability. It ain't happening. You can call it something, but it ain't happening. So three things that I believe, three points, if you will, that I think Paul pulls out here. One is your love should be increasing, not decreasing. Your love should be increasing, not decreasing. Do you really have people's best interest at heart? Because one of the biggest challenges for all of us is we're born self-centered. One of our first words we use is mine. 
We're born with that. It is an unbelievable thing to try to overcome, and you will never overcome it on your own. You may not ever overcome it till you see Jesus face to face, but man, you can get a lot better at it. The reason, one of the big reasons why we don't have intimate relationships is because we make it about us. We're selfish, and we're self-centered. We just are. But it's through the power of the Holy Spirit that begins to get flipped up on its head. Do you love others because of who they are or even what they can do for you? And that's the real only reason you love them? I mean, children deal with that with parents. They really don't know how to love unselfishly. They only know how to love based on how good their parents are to them and potentially what their parents can do for them. They don't many times love because of who they've become. If you took a list today and said, these people I love, why do you love them? Why do you love them? Do you love them because of what God is doing in your life and ever-increasing, abounding? Or do you love them because of what they can do for you? Or just who they are? Sometimes you love people just because of who they are. Because it's unbelievable. You're going, I don't know people like this. I love them. But it's still based on what they do. Not based on who you've become. Do you take people for granted? Because if you've had the five seasons, don't put it up there again. That was cool a while ago, but you don't have to do it now. You become complacent. The love that you had even for your spouse years ago now has become just good friends. I believe good friends should be the outflow of a great marriage, but it is not the reason for marriage. You become one. I want good friends. (laughs) But I need more than that. I need someone who is one with me. Thank goodness I can say and say it today, we're best friends too. But that wasn't the point. (laughs) But boy, that comes from a consistency of life. That comes from going through seasons of hard, tough things. As I was listening to that song and one of the things I thought of when Jan was diagnosed with breast cancer five years ago, I remember us laying in bed at three in the morning, just hugging each other and holding each other. And I didn't know that my love for Jan could go deeper, but it did. Just to feel her heartbeat. Just to sit and rest at three in the morning. Part of that comes from walking through a whole lot of hell together. But a whole lot of rejoicing together. And a whole lot of laughter. And a whole lot of crying. And a whole lot of sweating. I wouldn't have, I, she is the first person I put in the foxhole with me. And that's a fact. Decide to be second. Because he's MacGyver. You always want a MacGyver in your foxhole. Just remember that. <laughs> what do we got to work with? Let's do it. <laughs> Nah, my kids might be in there somewhere too, but they're not near as handy, though that's the only thing. 
No, they are. They are. Commitment. Commitment that is unprepared to sacrifice is merely compromise in disguise. Commitment that is unprepared to sacrifice is merely compromise in disguise. Commitment. Commitment that is not willing to go all in is compromise in disguise. This is going to be a long sermon. I already figured this out. I'm about halfway down my first page here. A great marriage, guess what? It costs you your selfishness, or it should. It deals a huge blow to one's independence. I don't know if I've told you lately, but you know Christ compares him and the church as bride and groom. Relationships that are not ready to sacrifice for the sake of the direction of life are in trouble. That includes local churches. I think that's one of the issues we've got in our churches across America is because that's not true in most of them. It's for convenience, not for commitment. It's for my convenience. The main reason people are not in community because I believe they just say it's not worth it. They wouldn't say that out loud. Sure. It's just not worth it. It's not worth the cost. It's not worth the sacrifice. Because sacrifice isn't sacrifice, really, I believe, until it changes your lifestyle. Until it changes something. Significantly. Let me ask you this, and I know this may sound convicting, but I'll let God figure that out, and I'm just going to say it. In the last six months, how many people in this room do you know better than you did six months ago? In this room, in this church. How many new people do you know? Because there's a bunch of them. We've got dinner on the grounds next Sunday. There's a cheer goes up from a crowd. (laughs) Dinner on the grounds is back next week. So, Name tags. They're not just a cute thing we try to do. It's about community. It's about getting to know someone. That's, that's really what it's about. That's all we're trying to do. We're trying to give you another easy step. But some of this is hard work. People's lives are messy. Let me ask you this. If you couldn't think of the most annoying People or group of people that you can think of, has your love increased for them in the last six months? Because I'm going to tell you right now, God may not ever change them, but he can sure change you. The most annoying people 
could be political because we're in that season or whatever. Could be your neighbor, could be your spouse, could be a lot of people. (laughs) Has your love increased? Because that's the supernatural love. We can all love more people who are good to us and take care of us and do the right things and think like us and all that. The supernatural comes when it's just the opposite, maybe. When was the last time you got out and mixed with somebody so different from you? Or just, we're trying to offer things, even like our community garage sale or whatever, and some things the Lord is doing at, at one of our local schools. It gives us an opportunity to at least take a baby step, if nothing else. Just a baby step. And I'm, sp- I'm preaching to me as much as I'm preaching to you. It's just I've had a head start in the last week working on this, okay? <laughs> God has been stirring in me and speaking to me. Second thing, real quick. Love should be governed by knowledge and discernment. Love should be governed by knowledge and discernment. How many of you have pet peeves? Anybody here have a pet peeve? What about pet peeve? What the defining of pet peeve is this. Something that a particular person finds especially what? Annoying. I like that word, annoy. Say that, annoy. It has kind of a weird feel to it on your nose. Annoy, it annoys me. One of my annoying is merging onto traffic. Many of you know this. One of mine is when you're trying to merge onto traffic, and everybody else is either going 65 or 75 miles an hour, and the person in front of me wants to go 45 and slip over into the fast. What are you doing? You're going to kill all of us. What are you doing? I, I'm not only annoyed because it doesn't make any sense to me. It, you're putting everybody in jeopardy. It's a pet peeve of mine. Pet peeves can be irrational. But pet peeves also can tell stories. There's a why behind many pet peeves. You know, if I work for someone, and I do, but if I work, if I went to work for somebody and I wanted to keep the job, and I really, really wanted to keep that job, I, number one, what I would do is make sure I did my job description, right? Whatever I'm asked to do, I'm going to make sure I at least do that. At least that. But if I had a great respect for my employer, for my boss, a great respect to who they are and what they stand for, I might even go an extra mile. But you know one of the things I'd like to know is, what's their pet peeves? Because there's a why behind them. And if you have a great respect for them and you have a great respect for what they stand for, there's a great possibility that that pet peeve has a tremendous why behind it and you can learn something. Sometimes you just have to trust them. Do you believe Jesus has any pet peeves? I'm going to let you look that one up. I sure want to know what they are. Because they're rational. They're helpful. They're for the good of everybody. Paul says that your love may abound in real knowledge and real discernment. He was affirming the rationality of your faith and my faith. I believe that part of loving God, I'm very, I'm very analytical. Most of you know I'm, many of you know me well, or no, I'm over analytical to a fault. 
But there is logic behind following after Christ. There really is. It's reasonable. It's rational. It's intelligent. You can study it. You can analyze it. But you can't walk away from it neutral. Jesus doesn't let you walk away neutral. You need to be hardening or softening from what he's trying to do in your life. As the wind blows on your life. As the spirit, as Jesus said to Nicodemus, he said the wind, the spirit blows where it blows. And one of the best things you can do is let it blow where it blows. Some of you are in protection mode. I don't want it to blow there. I don't want the spirit to show there. I don't want the spirit to work on me there. I don't. Instead of going, blow where you blow, almighty God. Because so much of what we, and I said it earlier, so much of what we believe, I'll be honest with you, isn't rational in some ways and isn't reasonable because God's revelation many times comes to us and it is not rational. Do you know unforgiveness or forgiveness is not rational? Somebody did something, or at least you perceive they did. Somebody may have done something really, really bad. It is not reasonable. To forgive. But yet while we were still sinners. Christ died for us. While we were still his enemy. The word says. That's not reasonable. That makes no sense. But when God's revelation comes. For instance. Giving at this church for instance. It doesn't make sense. It's not reasonable to give. 10% 10% if the starting point is the tithe that's God's. I've heard this week that 10 in the Bible is always a test. The 10 plagues, the 10, you go down the list, the 10s, the 10s, the 10s, the 10s. It's a test. It doesn't make any sense. Until you read Proverbs eleven twenty five. The generous man will prosper, and he who waters will himself be watered. Oh, okay. Jesus' words, and let's go there. Give, and it will be given to you. They will pour out into your they will pour into your lap a good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. I think that means abound. So if you want to know what abound means earlier in the scripture that we read, that's a description of it right there. For your standard of measure, it will be measured to you and return. I am so glad at renovation, there are people giving. There are people, you know, there's a lot of people not, okay? But even this week, just witnessed somebody just gave a lot that I never would have imagined stepped into that. And I just wanted to go, let me give you a high five because you're getting it. Just let me give you a high five. They didn't do it. They don't even know that I know. But the only reason I'm selling, saying this to you is you just sometimes want to go, you're getting it. You're being set free because you know it's not yours. And you, want, you just want to just, 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 because I've known it for years. 
I've known it for 30, over 30 years, the freedom that's in it, the joy that's in it, that none of it belonged to me ever. It's like when I'm raising kids, Jan and I are raising kids. The greatest thing I can realize is none of those kids were ever ours. Because when, when one is 19 or 20 years old and rebelling and going around the world and you don't know what to do with him, you know what the easiest prayer to say is? God, she's yours. <laughs> and I meant it. Because I knew it. Because she never was mine. She never was Jan's. She was always God's. So it's an easy prayer, right? God, she's your girl. It's on you. The mess she is. No, just kidding. No, because no, it, it. That's right. You're still a mess, but yeah, that's right. That she said that. She said, no, you know I'm kidding here, but but what I'm saying is, it is such. A, it's great to know that all I ever was was a steward. I was never an owner. And when I try to take ownership back, things get out of whack. I've been through some things, even in this last year, to go, God, this is yours. God, you, I'm praying, God, and I'm, I, God, I'm praying that your grace will go to places that I could never go. That your Holy Spirit can minister and, and believe that I could never go to. God, I am praying today that your will be done and only your will be done. Because this is not on me. This is on you. I have a responsibility and I have an accountability. But at the end of the day, this is on you. Because we're in this together. We're one. I want to sit at your feet long enough where we're one. Changes everything. Be able to discern the best and most excellent way. I love 1 Corinthians 12, 31. And Paul, if you remember, we read it a few months ago. Paul is talking about the gifts of the Spirit. And he goes on to say at the end of 12, 30, 12, chapter 12. Now remember, 1 Corinthians 13, if you don't know Scripture well, you, you probably heard it at weddings. It is 1 Corinthians 13 is the love chapter in Scripture. Just go look it up. It is the love chapter. Well, the last verse, if you're looking at it, or the last word, it would be because there would not be verses or chapters when it was written. But the last thing said before Paul launches into what 1 Corinthians 13 we know as is this. Now, eagerly desire the greatest gifts, and yet I'm about to show you. In other words, desire the gifts because they equip you. You're anointed with them. God has given them to you. Desire them because you could be used. But never put it in front of the most excellent way. Bill and Ted's most excellent. What was that? What was that show? Your Bill and Ted's adventure. Yeah, okay. The most excellent adventure. The most. And you could block in there. The most excellent way. The most excellent adventure. The most excellent life. The most excellent. The most excellent. The most excellent. Why would I not desire that for my children? Why would I not desire that for my marriage? Why would I not desire that for our, our church? Why would I not desire that? The most excellent way. That's the reason why Paul comes back here and says, "Your love's got to abound. It's got to be ever increasing." Ever increasing. For many of you, you're still stuck in your spiritual life of just trying to figure out what's good and bad, and I just want to do the best I can to what's good. If I land there more often, I land on the bad side, then things are good. 
The word says choose the most excellent way. I'm desiring the most excellent way. I'm desiring the best. Because in that, I am filled with the righteousness of God. Through Christ. But back to the question. If you, if you had to stop just for a minute, if I gave you a, a, a homework to go do today, who would be, and I know there may be more, but who would be the top five people you would least want to disappoint? I had the guys last night sit quietly for a few minutes and just told them as if there was a 4K Ultra HD video screen in their mind as they had their eye closed and just allow God to begin to bring those four or five people to the forefront. I want those people to be proud of me. I want to never disappoint those people. But then you have to ask yourself the question, what's it worth to me? What's it really worth to me though? Because it's, talk is cheap and you know what else does whatever else. <laughs> Talk is cheap. I love what Seth Godin says. That I got a few years ago. I don't know if we have that quote or not. But Seth Godin says, it's pretty easy to let ourselves or someone else off the hook. Hey, you did your best. Or the way we're able to somehow summon more energy and more insight when there's a lot on the line. Or the tremendous amount of care and love we can bring to a fellow human who needs it by defining our best as the thing we did when we merely put a lot of effort into a task. I fear we're letting ourselves off the hook. In fact, it may not require a lot of effort, but a ridiculous amount of effort, an unreasonable amount of preparation, a silly amount of focus, and even then, there might be a little bit left to give. It's certainly possible that it's not worth the commitment or the risk or the fear to go after, to go that far along in creating something that actually is our best or most excellent way. It's just not worth it to us. Let's admit it. It's just not worth it. But when we make that compromise, we should own it and just look each other in the eyes. It's just not worth it to me. Me doing the most excellent way for you as a husband, it's just not worth it to me. For me to look at my children and go, it's just not worth it to me. I'm going to give my best. I'm going I'm to give a great effort, but it's just not worth it to me. But most of all, in your private time with Christ, you go, I'm just fine getting in here. It's just not worth it to me. What will it cost you to have a type of relationship as Paul writes in Ephesians 3 that is immeasurably more than you can ask or imagine? I don't know all the cost of that. Because I can tell you mine and Jan's journey, my personal journey, but I don't know what you're going to have to pay to get there. But I think maybe the best question is, what's it going to cost us not to? I serve a God, the writer of Hebrews says, is a consuming fire. I love what he says, since we are receiving our rights to an unshakable kingdom, we should, think about that, we are receiving our rights to an unshakable kingdom. Think about that. 
I was driving home last night from, from Payson as I was coming down the mountain, and man, the wind was whipping, man. It was blowing. It was, I, 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 nobody else seemed to be on the road, and I've got that Triton, you know, 5.7 busting through the wind, and that thing is just going all, I felt like it was going all over the road. And I, for a second there, I just thought that's kind of life. There's curves, there's turns, there's ups and downs, there's winds blowing to knock you off course, but you better have a Triton 5.7. No, you need the tri-entity empowering your life to stay the course, to keep pushing through the wind. But then sometimes the wind blows and it's God. And your discernment is huge in this. Coulter and I were at Moab last weekend. A great time of Moab, Utah, those who've been there. and It's just kind of an outdoor mecca. I don't know if you have that picture up there. Maybe not. But one of the things we love about camping is campfires. It's the fire burning. What I love about this passage of Scripture in Hebrews 12, he goes on to say, an unshakable kingdom... We should be extremely thankful, he goes on to say, and offer the purest worship that delights his heart. As we lay down our lives with absolute surrender, filled with awe, for our God is holy and a devouring fire. Go ahead and put that slide back up. I tried this last night with the men. Let's see if it works. I didn't preach this whole sermon to them last night. But this illustration just recently stuck with me. One of the things about wind, if it's only a flicker, if it's only like a candle, when the wind comes, if you're not careful, you'll try to protect at least what you've got. But if you're not careful, what happens is, there you go, not again. Not again. Not again. But you know what wind does to a fire? It energizes it. Matter of fact, when it energizes it, left uncontrolled, it becomes this fire. That wherever you go, it has this opportunity to spread. It has this opportunity to to touch other people's lives even though they don't know it. When the fire is burning, you open yourself up to the wind. And let the wind do what it will with it. The word pneuma, the word spirit. But again, you have to open yourself up. And if you're satisfied with the flicker, there's nothing I can do about that. Only God. And what I love about the fire is, and I heard this years ago, being in the center of God's will is dangerous. Doesn't make you safe. But being in the center of God's will makes you dangerous. And that changes everything. It changes everything. 
That's your sign in to come up as we close. And I just want to let you know in my illustration of this candle, it's supposed to be a trick candle, so it lights itself back up. It wasn't working very well, so I apologize for that. And the reason I say that is because I don't want you to walk away going, see, that's what's supposed to happen. Oh, come on, you got another one in you. No, it didn't do it. Because I don't want you to walk away thinking because it's blown out. There you go. That's where many of you live. You feel it's blown out. Or at least so dwindled. And then all of a sudden it's back. I'm good. On what we were designed for. So yes, yes, and yes on those three questions, Eric. You're still good in that sense. The question is, do you want to live the most excellent way? The question is not whether you're saved or not saved. The question is, do you want to be a person who lives the most excellent way? Our God is a consuming fire. You know Hebrew and Greek, both of those, means the exact same thing. God comes to consume and destroy. That's what that literally still translates. I can't make up another translation for it. That's what it is. He comes to consume Destroy the things that should not be there, but to consume you and make you dangerous as a fire. So when the wind blows, you open up. You don't do this. That comes from years of opening yourself up. I don't know what you want today. But I do desire for you the most excellent way. The more I seek you, the more I find you. The more I find you, the more I love you. I am so blessed to be able to say that 33 years ago I met Jan and I haven't gotten over it yet had four children born into my family. I never knew I could love more. But here's this child. The capacity to love. I hope when you look at your faith, if you're saved here today, that your desire is to never get over what Christ did for you. And to be all in. Won't you stand? I apologize for... No, I don't. I really don't. I don't. That's not true. Today, it's not. Some weeks it is. I really do mean that. Today, I just hope it's been helpful to you. Lord, help us now as we sing. And Lord, as we open these altars up for those who would want to come and pray. And just say, light the fire down in my soul. One that I can't contain. That I can't control. (laughs) Because I want more of you, Lord. I want more of you. We pray this in your name, Jesus. You come if you feel led, then we'll close in prayer. God bless you.